can you return to a fulfilling, challenging and successful career after a long career break? After listening to this collection of returner stories, we hope your answer will be a resounding yes. I'm Karen. And I'm Liz. We're both coaches with Women Returners, the Return to Work Specialists. We work with employers and career returners to enable professionals to return to satisfying and fulfilling work after career breaks of two, five or 15 plus years. Over the years, we've coached hundreds of career returners and we're excited to share some of their inspirational stories with you. On our Career Returners podcast, you'll hear from a diverse range of people who are successfully back at work after taking long career breaks for childcare, elder care, health, relocation or other reasons. They share the ups and downs of their return to work journeys, the challenges, the rewards and their learnings. After each story, Liz and I will chat over some of the key themes that emerged and share some of our top return to work tips. A big thank you to JP Morgan for supporting us to bring this podcast to life. Now in its ninth year, the JP Morgan re-entry programme offers experienced professionals who've taken a career break of at least two years the support and resources they need to relaunch their careers. Currently running in the UK, US, Europe, India, Singapore and Hong Kong, JP Morgan's re-entry programme provides a fully supported transition back to work. In keeping with the international reach of their programme, in Series 2 of our podcast, we've captured stories of returners returning to work both in the UK and in other countries. After listening to this episode, do head along to womenreturners.com, where you'll find lots of advice, over 100 success stories, and a range of return-to-work opportunities for people on a career break wanting to get back to work. And do also sign up to our free network and Facebook group for extra support and connection. And now, over to this week's guest. This week, we have another fantastic guest joining us to share her return to work story. Mariana Dooley is an experienced marketing professional who's built a successful career in marketing, predominantly within the FMCG sector, managing brands such as John Rocher and Mark Jacobs with Waterford Crystal and also Bisto and Sharwoods at Premier Foods. Mariana took a 13-year career break during which time she raised her young family and relocated many times over to support her husband's specialist career. Once back home in Dublin and ready to resume her professional career, Mariana found success through the Deloitte Return to Work programme. Mariana, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Mariana, we know you have a strong marketing background and a real passion for brand management in particular. Tell us a little bit, you know, take us back to your career before you took your career break. What were you doing and what in particular did you love about it? Well, so before my career break, which was a 13 year long career break, Mm -hmm. so this is quite a while ago, um, I was in brand management and mainly in fast moving consumer goods. So um, the main kind of areas of focus for me were brand strategy, brand positioning, um, you know, uh, new product launches, um, advertising, PR. It was what I loved about it was it was exactly that. It was fast moving. It was constantly challenging. And there was constant uh, change and excitement with it as a career. And for me, in my case, it in, it involved a lot of travel. 
international travel and I have languages as well as uh, my marketing um, experience. So I was able to use my Spanish. I was able to use German in some roles and I had to learn Italian for one of my my international roles, which I loved. So, uh, yeah, I had a very, very happy kind of career before I took the break. And another key element that I loved about marketing and I still do is you're dealing with so many different stakeholders and people. And for me, getting back to work is about getting connection back. And that part of marketing, I love that you're you're constantly dealing with so many different types of people in all different uh, markets and walks of life. And that's what keeps it interesting and exciting for me. It sounds like it was such a dynamic early career and one that you were able to use so many of your skills and experience and continue to learn and grow and lots of travel in there as well. Um, And we know you've told us that you moved around quite a bit, 20 moves in 20 years, I believe. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So tell us a little bit about that. What, What prompted your moves and how did you manage that? Well, um, I I didn't, it definitely wasn't part of the plan. (laughs) I'll start by saying that. Uh, So basically, um, my husband's career, he's a medic and he's quite a specialised medic. He's actually an eye surgeon. So part of his career journey meant that we had to move those 20 times in 20 years. And just to put it into context, um, we would get two months notice in the majority of cases of a move. So we moved every six months to a year. In the last 10 moves in 10 years, we had the three children. So it involved moves to London, to Australia and Melbourne, and all over Ireland, all the major kind of cities within Ireland. So how did I manage? (laughs) (laughs) I often uh, ask myself that now that it's over, I look back. I suppose in ways I always think my marketing skills came into the fore because I had to, I suppose I had to reframe the uncertain into an adventure. So for the kids, I had to make it exciting and I had to make it something that was positive for them. And I also had to use my skills of just planning and organizing and networking because in the majority of cases, we would know nobody. We would move to a new place and he would go to work, my husband, and I would be at home with three young children. And like I said, I'm a people person. So, you know, the main thing for me was to network and to do um, to do my research in advance and to make sure that we were in an area that was family friendly and that was going to work for us as a family and not just for him career wise. I mean, I suppose the other key element is patience because you have to be quite patient with transition with any change. So the more moves I did, the more I realized how long it takes to actually feel settled in a place. And for me, four months is the magic mark before which you can kind of have a bit of a weekly routine and um, know where you're going to do your your daily shop and know where you're going to go and your dentist and your new GP and all those things take a while. So uh, yeah, it, it's a, a lot of experience and I think my skills all probably helped me um, help me adapt. I like that you talk about your transferable skills there, you're using your marketing skills. Tell us a little bit about the different countries that you've lived in. How did that in particular maybe shape your experience relocating, living in those different places? Tell us a little bit about that. 
Um, well, I suppose having lived in so many different places, so like we were in London for a year, for example, Melbourne was just a complete change for us. And, you know, we had actually emigrated. We, we actually thought we were staying in Australia for good. So we had said our goodbyes. We had all of our furniture <laughs> moved. Not that we owned that much, but, um, and all of the moves to put in context were organized by myself, I was project managing all of those moves. So, Melbourne, for example, I suppose what it really does is it gives you a broader perspective when you're living abroad like that and you're away from everyone and you're away from, you know, everything you know is kind of familiar. It really cements what you like and what you don't like in terms of, you know, area, in terms of community, in terms of a school, on so many levels, it kind of really reinforces what works for you as a family and what doesn't. Because in each place, you have to quickly identify that and seek it out. Because the sooner you do, the sooner you're settled and you feel more settled as a family. Ten months into the the time in Melbourne, um, he got offered a job back in Dublin. And we had to make the decision, of course, like just as things were starting to get boring. Um, I think, you know, he felt I needed another challenge. So um, he got offered a six month contract back in Dublin. So we as a family had to really assess, you know, what it was that we wanted. I felt like I had a quite a clear plan up until the age of 40, like have kids, you know, get married career-wise at my aspirations, but I hadn't actually given much thought beyond that. <laughs> and I, it made it very clear in Melbourne when we had to really kind of figure, what do we want long-term? And, you know, really do we want them to be living in Australia and Australian kind of in, 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 in every aspect because they were so young, that would be their lived experience or do we want to go back to Ireland and, you know, give it a chance? And I suppose ultimately that's what that year in Melbourne did. Again, for me, I suppose the advice I have, like if anyone listening is in a similar kind of situation and so many people are with kind of careers that um, are remote and relocating, is I really did reach out to older generations in those places. So in Melbourne, for example, I had kind of older Irish um, families who had emigrated years before, I really tried to kind of get their insights and that helped me to inform my decision. So I think that's kind of one key thing I would take from that is just always be seeking out advice and people who've been th been there and done that in different forms, they might've come to different decisions, but at least you can kind of learn from their lived experience. Yeah, I think you've got to be so proactive, haven't you? You've got to take action with it, particularly when change is happening so much. I really love that yeah. you you reached out to Irish families that were there and, and broadened your connections there. And I also think it's interesting that you talk about the plan. Um, I think, you know, many of us have the plan, don't we? Career-wise, you know, family-wise, <laughs> we have it all map mapped out when we're younger and we get to a point in, in time when we realise that the plan has just changed massively. Uh, and in your case, it, it changed and shifted, you know, many, many times over. But yeah, great how you navigated that. I'm just imagining the conversation when your husband comes home, you know, 10 months into being in Melbourne and he says, right, I've got a new, a new proposition for you. Yeah, it wasn't pretty. I'm not going to lie. It was, you know, because I loved, absolutely loved Melbourne. The kids loved it. He loved it. His, our quality of life over there. The work-life balance for me was always a key factor. 
And with his career as busy as it was, he had a very good work-life balance. For us, it was it was a really difficult, really difficult decision. But at the end of the day, I'm such a big believer in following your gut. And there was always a gut instinct there to just, you know, give it one more shot in Ireland and we might live with regret if we don't try it. Having said that, another kind of nugget from my experience is I always kind of believe in putting a time limit on those kind of decisions. So I basically agreed with him that we would go back and on a two-year basis. And then in two years, we would reassess the decision. And if it was working for all of us as a family, we would stay. And if it wasn't, then we would go back to Australia. And that was always an option. And for me, that takes the enormity of the decision out of it. And it takes the pressure of the kind of the long-term effects of the decision. So it makes it more kind of bite-sized and manageable. I did struggle the first two years back in Ireland, I'm not going to lie. I think there's a feeling when you emigrate that when you come home, it's like you've come home, but actually your home was where you were. It took me quite a while to adjust to being back in Ireland. and But I did pass a magic marker when we did pass the two-year mark where I suddenly actually felt settled again and felt like Ireland was home. But so that's the other kind of key thing is to be really patient in those situations and really give yourself a realistic length of time before things feel okay again. And so during this time, you took a 13-year career break to raise your three children. And I, we know that that was a longer time than you originally anticipated. I think you, you told us earlier that you'd originally anticipated about a four-year break. So tell us about that time in your life when you weren't at work. Um, obviously, you were very busy and doing lots of things, uh, organising the family moves and relocations. Tell us about what you learned during that time about yourself and about what was important to you. Well, like that, it was it was a long length of time. It was, you know, thir- the 13 years flew. I suppose kind of the the key kind of parts of that time for me were, were using all of my my work skills in my daily life. Um, no one gives you a manual when they give you children. <laughs> I definitely um, felt like, you know, I I gained so many skills by being off those 13 years. And I feel like if I hadn't been doing all the moves and hadn't been busy with, with the kids in that way, I probably would have gone back to work like within two years. And I suppose... The kind of key things that I um, I did do aside from the moves and raising the kids was, you know, I did a lot of kind of self-reflection and kind of I feel like I grew a lot and matured a lot um, as a person. And I feel like I also learned a lot about, I suppose, you know, things like mindfulness is one thing I really kind of embraced in my time off. I was stuck in a bit of a rut as a stay-at-home parent, you know, doing all these moves and going through all these kind of um, kind of stages that we had to go through for his career. And it made me kind of write down really, you know, what were the key things that I did before I had children that I enjoyed or that, you know, made me happy. And, 
you know, at the time we were very much so under financial stress, so they couldn't cost money. <laughs> so I had to do a list of the things that were free that I used to do that I enjoyed. And they were very simple things. So things like I used to have a bath once a week. I used to go for my walks on a Saturday morning. And I used to, you know, do my nails once a week. And I used to uh, pick up the phone to a friend minimum twice a week. So they were really just simple. It was a really simple list and a really simple reset for me. And I think for me, that was the very first start of me actually taking back a bit of control as having become a parent and trying to kind of claw back a bit of actually me as opposed to just me, me the mum. <laughs> so, and that started the whole process of in Melbourne, when I moved to Melbourne a year later, you know, getting back to being healthy and, you know, getting upskilling and, you know, starting to even the kernels of thinking about eventually when I settled what I might do. So it definitely started that thought process for me. I, I remember that kind of reestablishment of yourself when you've been a mother. And, you know, I remember picking up an actual handbag for the first time rather than a changing bag. And that being quite a moment of just feeling like I got my sense of self back. So I think definitely many people will relate. What was it that sort of prompted your return to work? I suppose the final thing in my case, I had always said it. Like if I introduced myself, even when the kids were younger and babies, I would have always said, oh, like I'm on a break, but I will be going back to my career. And I was always very confident and definite about that. Um, but when I really actually did um, make that kind of start the proper journey of returning to work, it was just before my son actually got diagnosed with diabetes with type 1 diabetes and that was three years ago and I had started kind of to really look at a plan to get myself back to work and I you know I think I had parked it so many different times and I think that's probably a story that's very familiar to people who are off as long as I am and what I realized the impetus for me starting kind of was him being diagnosed because it made me realise there was always a family drama or a family reason that I would say, oh, look, I'll park going back to work and I'll focus on that. And in September, I'll revisit. And when my son was diagnosed, it was November. And I suppose it made me realise this is actually such a big deal that I, that I could potentially use this as an excuse to never go back. I suppose the key for me was I needed someone outside of myself to hold me to account. For me, paying a career coach actually meant that it was costing money. But the main part of that was that I was accountable and that I wouldn't continue to put it off for the various different things that were going to come up as a family. And for me, that was the very start of, of the journey. But there were so many elements then that that sparked Um and one of the key parts of that was not only professionally getting ready and upskilling and reaching out to people who I had been in contact with before I left on my career break. I also, on a personal level, got myself back to being kind of at my fittest, at my healthiest, and got back into a good weekly routine with a view to being ready to go back to work so that I was starting to adjust the hobbies or the different things that I had so that I wasn't making it impossible for me to ever do a full-time job. <laughs> 
I think your story will resonate with so many returners there about, you know, there's there's always a reason to kind of postpone and delay and, and about making yourself accountable to somebody else really helps us to move you forward on that journey. And also that piece around kind of getting yourself ready, both professionally with your upskilling that you did, but personally as well, is so important because we talk about returning to work as, as being sustainable. We want it to last. It's not just about that first three months or six months back. It's about this is, you know, starting the next chapter of your career. So that prep that you did really helped you to start with the, with the best mindset. Um, so we know that you've just completed the Deloitte Island Return to Work programme. Fantastic news. Congratulations. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about, you know, you've done all the prep and then you started at Deloitte. Tell us about stepping back into that professional career and you know what were those first few weeks like? How are you feeling? How did it all go? Well I have to say I was so so excited to start the program and like that um, you know I it literally was the first it was the first job I had applied for after kind of coming through that process of getting ready to go back to work. So I was pinching myself that within a few weeks I was onboarding with Deloitte and I just felt so grateful um, to companies like Deloitte that offer returnships because I think it's so key that companies are open to returners. So uh, how did I feel those first few weeks? I was excited, I was nervous, I was, um, you know, challenged and I but the the main thing for me, like one of the key parts was, you know, we got coaching as part of um, starting back with our women returners, coaches, and that really helped me. And one of the key things was coming up with routine and coming up with non-negotiables. And for me, that was a key element in getting a balance of starting back full time while also trying to still manage the household and while also still trying to have time for me and do the things that actually keep me level, (laughs) which is exercise, which is my regular walks with friends. And, you know, those things are so important. So they really are non-negotiable. Like they're not kind of things that are nice to have. But I mean, I'm not going to say it was perfect in the first few weeks. There was definitely a few takeouts, (laughs) many a night, (laughs) which no one in my house was giving out about, uh, except I obviously had the guilt. So it did definitely take a while to get into a routine. And I suppose my attitude as well was no offence to my husband, but I always felt like I was kind of like a single mum. And when I went back to work, I basically just adopted the approach that I'm a working single mom. So I, you know, because he didn't have capacity to just suddenly magically, you know, step up. He was already maxed out with his job. So I outsourced. I just decided what is it I need help with? And I outsourced as much as I could as an investment in those first six months to make sure that I gave myself the best chance and the best opportunity to just not be completely stressed <laughs> and to, for the kids not to notice that suddenly there's no clean laundry and suddenly like, no dinner. Right, there's no <laughs> dinner and, you know, mom's a wreck. So thankfully, uh, I think all of those things helped me. But I think it's taking responsibility for that. And I think it's also knowing that there is no perfection in parenting. There's no perfection in work. You know, for me, that's a really was a really invaluable lesson because I am a perfectionist by nature. So I think this really kind of showed me I have to pick and choose, 
each week what the priorities are and, you know, I have to let some things go. I just got a lot better at being really a bit kinder to myself and more patient with myself while I'm going through all this change and while the kids are going through all this change and having nice carrots to look forward to as well. In those days where I was feeling a bit overwhelmed or wondering what I was doing, taking this all on and having things to look forward to and having little kind of rewards along the way. Lovely. How long did it take you to feel that you were back up to speed, Mariana? Um, Being honest, in in my case, it took, it actually only took around four weeks before I actually felt back to my work self. And I was actually, I was blown away by how irrelevant it was to everyone else I was dealing with that I was a returner, you know, or that I'd been off for 13 years. In my head, it was such a big deal and it contributed to such a kind of imposter syndrome and all the fears that had kind of stopped me kind of even trying to go back to work, you know, to keep me in my little bubble. But when I got back into work, I really realised all people care about is the team you're on, the project you're currently working on and where where to next. But having said that, I mean, I still now would make a point of saying it, you know, if I am in meetings or if I am meeting people the first time, because I'm quite proud of having come back after um, such a long break. And I just think the more we can get that message out there that it is daunting to go back and it is daunting to take those first steps. But Actually, once you get in and you get back to your work self, it's like riding a bike. You know, it hasn't gone anywhere. <laughs> it just needs to be dusted off a bit. <laughs> I think it's the confidence in yourself as well of just being, you have still got the skills. You just need to kind of back yourself and really know that nobody else cares <laughs> about how long you're off, whether it was a year or 13 years, it's irrelevant to their day to day. What do you think you did in those first four weeks that really helped to get you back up to speed? What helped in those first four weeks was, you know, reaching out to the other returners. Luckily, as part of the Deloitte programme, there was a group of returners. There was um, seven of us in total and we would have had weekly check-ins. So that really, really helped for me. Like, I mean, if someone's listening to this and, you know, they don't necessarily have that network when they start back, if it's a returnship program or not, you can still seek those people out. So aside from those returners, I also had, I have one or two mentors um, that I had kind of along my career journey and I would have had regular check-ins with them. And that really helped because it helped me sense check, you know, am I doing okay? Am I not doing okay? And then also sticking to a very strict routine for the first four weeks was what really helped me feel um, that things were manageable. So I nearly had to timetable out what my week was going to look like, both at home and in work. And like that, the priority was making sure my my key things were there, like my exercise, uh, my walks with friends, uh, you know, those carrots, like the night out with friends that I was looking forward to after the first four weeks. I made sure that was all part of that plan. And I really think that helped me. So to be really, really organised and routined for those first few weeks. Looking back now, what are some of the things that you are most proud of, both personally and professionally, in your return to work journey? What I'm most proud of from this kind of return to work experience and and this last six months with Deloitte is, I suppose, firstly, on a personal level, 
I'm quite proud that I've put myself out there and that I've, you know, number one, addressed my fears, which was the biggest thing that was holding me back from even starting this returnship journey. So I feel like I've I've properly kind of addressed those fears and I feel like I know myself better. And on a personal level, I'm at my fittest and healthiest going back in this last six months. I'm quite proud that I've actually managed to maintain kind of a healthy kind of balance in these six months and, you know, maintained my friendships and uh, maintained all those relationships and, you know, still found kind of things to enjoy at the end of the day when I'm exhausted <laughs> after having been at work all day and still finding, uh, making myself find things that kind of are fun and, you know, um, give me a bit of joy back. <laughs> and in terms of professionally, I'm extremely proud that I've achieved, there's a few projects that I've, you know, launched start to finish in my time in Deloitte and also feel like I've I followed my instincts and I, I've, I've listened to my to my gut and it's what I would have done in all my previous roles. I would have just gone on a limb and, you know, taken chances potentially to put myself out there and do things. And I was nervous starting back if I would have that same confidence and same ability to just put myself out there and try and add value. And I, I, I feel like I have actually done that in the last part of my returnship. And that's a real affirmation to me that I am back <laughs> and I am back to my full work self. And I'm still able to do what I always set, set out to do when I join any companies is to add value and to see where I can kind of make a positive difference in the role. And to be able to do that as part of the returnship is kind of very um confidence building for me. <laughs> Sounds like you're enjoying it so much as well. That's what's really coming through as we're listening to you, Mariana, how much, you know, enjoyment you're getting out of your whole work-life blend that you've created. Yeah, well, I mean, it, the one absolute key lesson for me with this returnship is I absolutely am loving being back working. I, I realise it's a whole part of my identity. It always was. And that's why I always had was so adamant I was going to go back to work. But it's only now being back in a, in a company and doing a full-time role that I can see how much a part of my identity it is and how important it is for me to have that outlet, to be that different part of myself as opposed to my mum or wife or all the other roles that you play. There's always going to be those challenges, whether it's in work or whether it's at home and you know, it's, but I would be, I would have done myself a disservice, I think, if I hadn't just embraced all of me, you know, and work, my work self being a big part of that. You know, I think as well for the kids, I think they've benefited. And I don't know if I should admit to this either, but uh, I'm obviously, I'm probably less uh, energy to be uh, kind of micromanaging a lot of what they're doing. So I think, you know, when I do talk to my kids, uh, the feedback is, oh no, you stay working. We love it. Like, because <laughs> you're, you're, you're gone, you're distracted, you know, you seem very happy at work, but really what they're saying saying is you're not paying as much attention to how much screen time we're having. What advice would you have for others who are listening in, they're on a career break and they're considering returning to work? My biggest advice would be to follow your gut. Like if you, if you're considering going back to work and you know, and you're, you're like me, that you're constantly saying to people, oh yeah, I'll be going back to my career. My biggest advice is just follow that gut instinct and um, 
but make start to make yourself accountable by reaching out to whether it's a mentor, you know, someone who you knew in your kind of past career and um, who you think would be happy to be able to kind of just to hold you to account a bit and to kind of you can bounce things off them. It just gives you that observer's point of view and it actually makes it feel like it's something that's actually tangible, that you're talking about it and you're actually going to put a plan in place. And for me, that's the very first step. But to be honest, like it's a slow journey. Like it's not like, I think part of my fear and my my procrastination was I felt like once I'd made the decision to return to work, suddenly I was going to have lots of offers and I'd have to just suddenly go and find childcare and start working. And that's not the case. Like it is a long journey. So not to be afraid to take the first step because it doesn't mean suddenly you're going to be in a role in a month and then that that's it. You haven't had time to process it all. Like it's actually a long journey and taking that first step of reaching out to someone who you can talk to, who can give you advice and um, start to kind of take those steps towards getting yourself career ready. And I do feel a big part is is not just being professionally ready. I think that part is actually not as important as being personally ready, you know, and in the headspace to kind of really assess why it is you want to work and what it is you're looking to get from work. And for me, the biggest part, which really motivated me once I identified it with the career coach is I really needed that sense of connection and I really needed that sense of purpose and a sense of achievement. And I love my kids. I've loved staying at home with them, but it wasn't giving me that sense of sense of purpose um, and that connection, that adult connection that work had given me in so many varieties of ways. Don't be afraid, you know, is the key thing because it's normal to be afraid and to put yourself out there. It's very safe to stay at home. In my situation, there was no, no one looking for me to work. If anything, my husband would have been delighted if I didn't go back to work. So, it, it, you know, it was very easy for me to, to not put myself out there. And I think that's what led to me probably not going back sooner than I did. Once you start putting yourself out there, you're exposing yourself to rejection and you're exposing yourself to a feeling of failure. Like if you get a job and you don't do a good job, well, then it just reaffirms, well, you weren't that good in the first place. So I think it's normal to have those fears, but you kind of have to challenge them as well. And, you know, really kind of have that conversation with yourself as to how much actual factors there to any of that. And, you know, you wouldn't stop your kids going out and playing a sport because they're going to get injured you know, you'd say, look, you might get injured, but you, you know, you still have to play sport. So it's the same thing. It's kind of just addressing those challenges that you might get rejected. But like, that's all part of the process and it doesn't define you. Uh, and if it's important enough and you know you really want to be back working, don't let any of that stand in your way. That is some fantastic advice for our listeners. Thank you so much, Mariana. That lots in there around following your gut, making yourself accountable to somebody else and being personally as well as professionally ready. So important and not letting fear stop you from moving forward and getting back to the fulfilling career that you've had and that you're enjoying now. Um, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your story with us. We've so enjoyed talking to you. So thank you. Likewise, it was a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Thank you. 
What a great conversation we had with Mariana. She'd had a sizable break of 13 years, and for many professionals seeking to return to work, that's a daunting process to get back to a professional career. Yeah, and we know that even though it can be hard, it is entirely possible to return to work after an extended break. Often returners aren't planning to take as long as they do, but like Mariana pointed out, life and dramas will always pull us back or give us a reason to put it off. What I loved about speaking to Mariana was her mindset. She didn't actually need to go back to work. It was safer to stay at home and therefore easier not to risk exposure and rejection by putting herself out there. But she recognised that work was a key part of her identity that was missing and she needed to push herself to make her return to work happen. Yeah, I like how she wanted to make herself accountable. And for her, this meant enlisting the help of a career coach. But as she said, it doesn't necessarily have to be paid for support. It could be a friend, an associate or ex-colleague who acts as a mentor or sounding board for you to help you hold yourself to account. Yeah, it's definitely easier with support, isn't it? And Mariana talked about the prospect of not having that support every time they moved and relocated. So she proactively made it happen. She reached out and connected with Irish families in Melbourne who had emigrated years before to gain insight into what had worked for them. And I really liked how she talked about learning from their lived experience. Yeah, I agree. And in fact, she did the same thing with every move, didn't she? Planning, researching and reaching out to gather information to make the right decision. You do need to be proactive in your return to work. She prepared for her return by reaching out to people she'd been in contact with before her career break, even though that was 13 years ago. Those contacts do still matter. They absolutely do. And she really took the initiative to upskill and prepare herself professionally. And on a personal level, she got fit and healthy and established good weekly routines so that when she returned, it was all much more sustainable. Yeah, and to help, I loved when she mentioned outsourcing as a way to gain valuable support when she returned to work at Deloitte's. It can be so easy for returners to try to do it all, can't it, Liz? And everything they were doing previously layered in with a full-time career. And we know this just isn't sustainable. Definitely. We hope you took lots from this episode and were inspired by Mariana's story. Do think about how you can proactively make things happen. What small step could you take today that would really make a difference for you? Perhaps it's reaching out to an old colleague or enlisting someone to support you and hold you accountable in your return to work. Thanks for joining us today and we really hope that this story will inspire you to take the next step in your own return to work journey. Do tell your friends and family about the Career Returners podcast and when you get a moment we'd love you to subscribe, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. A big thanks again to JP Morgan for supporting us to create this podcast series. JP Morgan has supported professionals on a career break to successfully return to work for many years and values the diversity, fresh perspective and wealth of experience that returning professionals can bring. Take a look at their successful re-entry programme if you're thinking about returning to work. And if you're looking for more advice and guidance in your own return to work journey, we're here to support you. Visit us at womenreturners.com and sign up to our free Women Returners professional network to hear about current returner opportunities and events, including our free monthly webinars for network members. And do join our growing community of returners in our Facebook group for valuable peer support. We look forward to you joining us again for our next episode of the Career Returners podcast.